Welcome to the Elevate Effect podcast, where we give you the resources to take you from workloads to workflows. I'm your host, Courtney. I'm an online systems educator for coaches. Fueled by cold brew and a love for watching endless reruns of Friends, I'm here to give you the tools and the support you need to scale your business and take back charge of your life and your time. So pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and let's do the damn thing. Okay, everybody, I am so excited for today's episode because we are going to be talking with Shannon Matson, who is the CEO of the Social Bungalow and Bungalow Coffee Co. So Shannon, I would love for you to just give everyone a quick rundown of who you are, your story, how you got started. Obviously, I feel so lucky because in this space, we don't really get to meet a lot of people in person. And I have fortunately got to meet your lovely face in person in Vegas a couple years ago and you know, been able to obviously continue uh, an awesome relationship with you both personally and professionally. And so I'm really excited for everybody to listen and learn from you today because you're always just a wealth of knowledge. And I can't wait for everybody just to get a, get a taste of that today. So if you want to go ahead and give everybody um, a little background and information on you. That'd be amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And I, you got to it at the end, but I was going to say, I'm like, you forgot in my titles to put like courts, internet, best friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yes, we started the social bungalow. We're at like four and a half years rounding the corner to five. Now I need to do the math. Actually, we're getting there. And I was a career long marketer in the corporate world. So fell into it, um, about like 13, 14 years ago now. And actually more than that, I really need to get my numbers straight. I think I'm really underselling myself. And I was um, just completely in love, starting from social media, in love with what marketing was, didn't plan on it, fell into my lap, and then wanted to like binge eat all the different types of digital marketing, what's paid ads and what's SEO and all the different ways in which you could really help somebody's message and mission get out there. So I mixed my modalities and through the process of upskilling, I then started to apply for companies and land a manager role, then a director role, then a VP role. And that was extremely fulfilling. And I got to work in some different industries from publishing to fitness and franchising and all these fun things that also brought me to the doorstep of some celebrity work. So I worked with A-Rod, J-Lo, Kendra Wilkinson, um, Ellen DeGeneres show. I did a couple of things with L'Oreal for some clients. So just really cool, amazing things. And at that point it was like, okay, I did it. This is what I wanted to do. I set out, I was a teen watching like, uh, Mary Kate and Ashley and Amanda Bynes, you know, like the publicist style, like 1990, yes. you're like, that's what I want. I want to be that like fast and free devil wears Prada person. And then you do it and you're like, okay, I'm exhausted. And I'm at a fixed salary. And this was cool, but now I'm like, want more for my life. So you accomplished it. You checked it off your list. Okay. And I reached my threshold for this completely. Yeah. And I would not have been able to see entrepreneurship had that journey not taken place. And and there was, you know, pros and cons and all that in the corporate world, of course, but there was that like quiet little voice that was like, you know, you could probably take these skills and have it be transferable. So I started just side hustling, doing outsourced director of marketing type stuff for local Las Vegas businesses. And along that journey, I stumbled upon a gal who was a um, fitness influencer. She had like over a million followers and an online membership. And I was like, whoa, this makes sense. And it was so profitable. And she was able to really just change lives, these people. And she she became a mom. So it really started to brand itself more as like mommy makeover style. And um, the tears and the fulfillment and the confidence and everything she was able to give these women was so fulfilling. It like gives me chills still to talk about it that I was like, absolutely hooked. Where are more of you? So I started then niching into, um, again, just sort of stumbling into my, my space, female entrepreneurs with an expertise service-based business that are helping independent individuals or businesses, but typically the business owners, the individual they're helping. And that rapid fire like the speed by which you can find the people and deliver transformation. And then the depth of the transformation is the fastest and the deepest of anything I'd ever experienced. So I'm like, hello, my name is Shannon and I'm addicted to helping people with online businesses (laughs) to put it simply (laughs) long story short, we started the social bungalow, which is the name of my business. And I stopped doing outsourced director of marketing done for you and went into strategy for many more individuals in that space. Um, over time, built courses, built support packages. And now here we are, like I said, just about half a decade in helping 
all entrepreneurs, but with a heavy female tilt, um, really optimize what they're selling in their offer suite deliverables and then marketing it for big picture profit from there. And I think for all of us, I would say that we can all say thank you for that because you have helped, you know, serve so many people in this business. I, like I said, I've known you now for two or three years and you've worked with my business in so many different facets and helped me get a lot of clarity at different evolution stages of my business. You know, we've grown a lot over the past two to three years as any service-based business does, um, and changed and made a lot of pivots. And you've been, I mean, your, your products and your services just have helped me at every point along that road, if that makes sense. So it's like, it's not even just, Hey, like if you are a beginner or if you're seasoned or well advanced into your career um, or to your business, you have really helped to serve us in all facets of that. And I was thinking about it today because I think you even said something the other day about mad scientisting something. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what she does. Like she is a marketing mad scientist. Like she has such a brain and for not just the marketing, but the psychology, like you have such a great way of like getting inside of people's heads that it's just so hard for me to wrap my brain around, um, the things that you, you know, you prompt and you ask yourself and, and anyway, so just like to toot your horn for you, because you, you do such an amazing job at what you do. And um, obviously can't speak any more highly of you than, than I possibly could. But, um, I know you got started out in the online space, which is, you know, what we just discussed and, but now you've opened an entirely new brick and mortar business, um, which bungalow coffee co, if you guys are not familiar, she, in downtown Las Vegas. Downtown, is it considered downtown, I guess? It is. Mm -hmm. Downtown Las Vegas. um, Really, really cool coffee spot. I actually got to go see it when you guys were just getting, I think you guys had just got the property and we're starting to get things moving. Um, It's a really beautiful, big space. And I sure, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes in ensuring that there is enough revenue and profit and things to be able to step into another business. And I'm, you know, even from us in the online space, we know that we have, you know, those things to deal with, but So from an online business perspective, how did you strategize to make money in order to build a brick and mortar business? Like what was the strategic steps that you started taking, or maybe even the moment that you decided, Hey, this is something I want to be doing. And how did you start to prepare for doing that? Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, So really it was something, so my husband and I co-own both businesses, but especially Bungalow Coffee, which has been a huge brainchild of his from an ownership perspective as well. So we, when we first started dating, both shared like, what's a dream? What would you want to do? And had stumbled together upon like, oh, a coffee shop, owning that, the community vibe, just like the cheers element of walking in and everybody knows your name and big, big thing. So it wasn't, um, completely and fully as if it was like, we are building this online business because we want to open a coffee shop and we're looking for the revenue for that. It, it had become an opportunity, but to act on it, there were some things that we got in place. And then now through the process of scaling that, because there was just much more you needed to funnel into it than just the initial investment. And then also looking at continuing to invest and or helping my clients with their investments. The thing that I feel very strongly about for anybody listening to this is that common advice in online, you know, dollars and cents will tell you, you have a price for your product. You sell that product. You are able to then take your expenses out of it and be left with profit. And now here you go, you have profit. And with an online business, you have very low expenses. You don't typically have rent. You don't have a huge team. So you're able to have a lot of profit and it's just a profit or a like dreams fueling career. Cause you've got all of this profit and not a lot of expenses. Then I see people take it and invest it or spend it or whatever, which is totally fine, but then decide they want to scale their online business or there's now a dream property and they want to increase their real estate portfolio. And there just isn't any more gas in the tank because the thought behind it was free money, play money. I've never had this much money. So our approach to that is taking your revenue first, starting with kind of like what style of a business you are. And many people listening to this, I know with being in courts, ozone or systems ups ozone, you guys have this online based business, but a lot of times our service providers, or you have done with you style programs and or DIY courses, memberships, digital products. So I break up the difference of how you want to say, how much am I spending on my operations, my fulfillment, i.e. labor and my marketing and paid versus organic and having a percentage of your revenue that goes into that. So for example, with a done for you service provider or agency or somebody that's doing more of the doing in the fulfillment category, you're going to have so much more of your percentage of revenue or your percentage of just the business operating dollars that goes into 
operations because you have to, with your labor, have somebody to do the doing. So I like to say you've got about 35% of your actual revenue that's going into your labor. You've got 10% into your marketing because oftentimes that's a big referral space and then about 10% into your general operations. So if that's where you're breaking up your money and you know that's the divvy, if you exceed those numbers, you know it's time to pull it back down or you're exceeding intentionally and you're going to take a profit dip for the time being for this current business. So starting with the current business versus just looking at I'm subtracting my expenses and now I have the money. When you have that laid out, the next step then, like I said, typically is people say, okay, I've invested what Shannon said. I did my 10% to ops and my 35% to labor. I'm good to go. I like to take it a step further by establishing your cash in the bank is what I call it. And noting if you want about 60 days of a runway in your safety net of savings, 90 days or 120 days of operating your business. So I take the leftover revenue and then divide that into the amount of days that you want to save for. So let's just say it's 30 days. You have a leftover $55,000, for example, divided into 30 days. You have $1,833 that you want to save on a daily basis basis. Put that into the bank account for 60, 90, 120 days. And that's how much you want to have before you ever invest in something outside of it, taking from that cash in the bank before you just take from profit. So to do the fast math, if you were to have that 1833 over the span of 60 days, that's 109, almost $110,000. And then you say, okay, from this 110, what am I comfortable taking and investing into a brick and mortar? I know that's a lot to hear audibly guys. So thanks for coming on that journey with me. I would just be remiss to not say a lot of times the preparation people think like, I just need more. I just need, it's a hundred thousand to invest in this. It's a hundred thousand for a down payment. And, you know, obviously I don't want to blow through all my cash. So if I have 110, if I have 120, I'm going to be able to go ahead and make that move. Or if I have enough, I look good enough on paper, I can get the loan. And there isn't a real plan because we're so hyper fixated on the urgency of the opportunity and the volume of the dream that we don't go into it with this smart financial runway. So that I'll step off my soapbox with that. As far as preparing to make that money, we did a lot of it through live launching uh, digital courses so that there wasn't a ton to do for fulfillment. So it's upfront work. You put your brain into a program, create it. You do the ramp up, you do the big, exciting open cart week. But now that you have this volume sales situation, call that four times a year, you have these cash infusions. And with that, you're able to take that lump sum and figure out what it is that you want to do with it per that financial conversation. So the, the finances that funded our brick and mortar were very heavily from live launching passive income products to an audience that was well nurtured. I think like, as I was listening to you, I could, I could totally relate to, uh, you know, you're talking about putting money aside, making sure that you have, whether it's 30, 60, 90, 100, 120 days. I think patience is such a hard thing to practice, especially now in this day and age, because people are so used to instant gratification, but it's very similar to like, even how we manage like our funds in our personal life to be like for full transparency. It's like, okay, you know, if we have an opportunity where we wanted to invest in, you know, a piece of real estate for a rental property, you know, that's one of our big goals personally for ourselves. We had to kind of like step back and say, okay, like we need an emergency fund, obviously for our family in case, you know, for lack of a better phrase, shit hits the fan, right? We have to have something to fall back on and for us to feel comfortable investing in something down the line. And I think for both my husband and myself, we're both like high achievers, high go-getters. Like we want to do, 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 do. And the fact that we're just like having to be in this like lull phase of our life where we're just saving money versus like doing something with it has been very frustrating for both of us. So it does make me feel a little validated that, okay, like, Hey, Courtney, you're being, you're being smart about it. You're having to be strategic, but it is, it is truly what you have to do to be, to be smart with, with your money and making sure that you are making the right steps. And it's not to say that there are instances where maybe you do jump on an opportunity and it all plays out well, and it's fine. I'm sure there are things like that does happen for some people, I'm sure. Um, but you know, I, I can, I can absolutely relate, you know, to that from a personal level, not even just, you know, from my business and what we've done with, you know, the revenue or the profit from my own business, but for personally, what we're having to tackle too. Yeah, absolutely. Basically the advice is just delete the Zillow app until you're ready. Uh, that's impossible. That's like my favorite, like evening pastime. When I put Luca I down, it's like, okay, let's scroll through Zillow. What can we find? Completely. The amount of hours logged on Zillow in the bathroom for most people, I'm sure is incredible. It's part of their main demographic. Yeah. I don't know how many times I get a text message from my husband with a Zillow listing every time he goes to the bathroom. Yep. <laughs> Um, 
Okay. So, you know, I know like a big piece of running your business, like we've talked about is investing in your business. And so whether it's, you know, taking your profit to invest it in new branding or a new team member or a business coach or mentor, you know, there's so many options and choices that we have when it comes to spending our money. Like you said, even I even personally struggled when I started my business, I obviously had way more money than I was used to getting at my corporate nine to five. I'm like, like even, even in my first month, I'm like, wow, this is so much. What do I do with it? What do I buy? Goes and gets a brand new pair of Nike tennis shoes or, you know, whatever it was. I didn't know how to manage my money because I just had never been in that position. You know, that was five years ago now. I have, I learned, but you know, we have a lot of options on how we can spend our money. And there are also so many different things and opinions you do hear about what to do with your money in order to successfully scale and grow a business. So what are some of the ways you've personally evaluated how to spend and invest your profit in terms of what you are actually spending on? Yeah. Great question. So bungalow coffee has been open for just about a year and a half at open March, 2021. And, um, like we talked about social bungalow longer than that, but they're both now, I would say the social bungalow is kind of in its like teenager years and bungalow coffee, still a baby, but it's, they're, they're both operational. They're both profitable. They're both running and gunning. They've got teams, they've got inventory, just all the stuff constantly. And so with that, it's just projecting year over year, what our plan's going to be, what we want to do, where we want to grow, all of those good KPIs, and then saying, all right, this is our financial roadmap. And in order to achieve this, we're doing it through on the social bungalow side, you know, X amount of live launches, evergreen funnel, private sales, upgrades, secret menu, blah, 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 to make that happen operationally, to make that happen with team. And you sit down and you look at, okay, this is the spot in the year where I'm going to need an additional member. This is the spot in the year where I'm going to need to invest more in paid advertising so that I'm actually able to make these units and taking that and being able to backlog reverse engineer what your plan is to achieve it and saying this equals paid ad money. This equals, you know, an independent person that I need to hire on the bungalow coffee side. We're going to be upgrading our pricing. So therefore we want to roll out new menu items so that it feels like there's something fresh and not just it, you know, suddenly got high overnight. And so with that, uh, we want to look at the menu and see from our distributors, are there any additional ingredients that are going to make sense of this, but be in a great price point? Like, can we add goat cheese to a salad and make it feel fancy, but it's the same price as the other cheese. So (laughs) all of these things, just being indicative of what it is that you're wanting, which oftentimes is twofold. It's one part financial, and then it's one part impact of, I want this many people to come through the doors of bungalow coffee and, you know, go on a first date and meet their soul. And they'd have a business meeting that just ends up being life-changing. I want the same thing on the social bungalow side, which is obviously closer to that impact goal. Um, and seeing what makes sense for you to still find balance and not just be working constantly or run your team ragged and know, all right, it's about 150 people that we want to serve over the span of the year, resulting in this money and this impact. And these are our student success goals from there. Insert way to make it happen with the stuff at that point. A lot of times people get, and I I totally get it. It's like shiny object syndrome. You see new branding, you see a photo shoot, you see like the physical tapestry of, oh my gosh, that person has that. And I, I'm guessing that's why they're so successful because they just look so premium. And if I look that way versus actually what's been working for me, and I can just turn it up to 11 for right now and then take from that money and invest into that at a later date. It's it's coming back to this patience, which is like the most not fun narrative to have. Um, so sorry, if you were looking for something super juicy and here we are saying like, dig in. Be patient. But, yeah. <laughs> just wait. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it to, to like roundabout answer you simply is just finding what it is that you're wanting financially and impact wise, reverse engineer it, and then invest in a timely manner in a way that makes sense for you and for the people. Cause you're in this for the long haul. Like online business is so fast and furious and incredible. You just feel like you're having this incredible sprint and it's never going to change, but mm-hmm. sometimes it does. Sometimes there's COVID. Sometimes there's a recession. Sometimes the world just has changes. And if you went at it from a marathon perspective of like, actually I'm building a legacy. Actually, I plan on having this business for at least a decade, potentially leaving it to my kids to turning it into something more selling it. Like all of these things are indicative of people being able to look back at your financials and say, you have a rock solid history. And yes, this is worth the investment or the purchase or what have you. Yeah. And I think that you also just made a really good point into 
about how quick and fast paced this space is, because that was one thing, you know, even in asking you this question, I feel like it is kind of hard to answer because sometimes changes happen so quickly in your business. Like when you talk about, okay, I look at the year and these are our goals for the year and this and that, and this is how we allocate our, our spending and what we're investing in. But then it's also at the same time, like stuff may change and things may happen because I even know just like from my experience in my business, how much my business has changed or had to pivot even in within a year year, like which changes we've had, um, or like, even when I had gone on maternity leave and the things that we had to change in my business or the structure, how things ran operationally. Um, and so it is, I guess to say too, like to be open, not just with the patients as well, but being flexible change in the, in the things that come as a, being a part of this space and in such a fast paced environment and how to be able to pivot with that pace, right? Like that's just something that you think you kind of have to, the flexibility and being open to change. And, and that's something that we've also personally had to, to, to navigate, you know, running a business. And I'm sure with the, you know, the social bungalow, like you said, it's, it's in its teen, teen years now, but I'm sure those are, there's a lot of things that you had to do in that time too, especially like when COVID hit, I think everybody was like kind of panicked and like, what do we do now? Um, and, you know, thankfully, I think for us being in the online space, we weren't as affected by COVID. I mean, I at least personally didn't feel it a ton, but you know, like I said, I do think everybody has had these moments in their, in their business where like, okay, crap, we need to pivot or things are changing very rapidly and we have to adjust. Um, and just like, again, it's kind of just like circling back to what you mentioned about where the spending is from an annual perspective. Um, I personally struggled with doing that just because all of the fast paced changes. Yeah, no, it's so true. And and that's the really weird thing about this space is it's kind of, we were saying in the beginning, like there's so much speed and then there's so much depth at the same yeah. time. And at some point, if you do take smart financial moves, you've got a savings, da, 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 an opportunity arises or shit's hitting the fan or what have you. And you're like, I just have to go with my CEO gut at this point. And that's the scary part where you don't fully think about like, I'm going to hire a person off of a projection, or I'm going to make an investment, or I'm going to put myself out there off of like a bit of a gut feeling. And you do getting into this business ownership role, whether you have a team or not at this moment, have to make some scary decisions. Sometimes trust yourself, dig in, do the work, make it happen. And, and it just is what it is like, whether it pans out or if it's a learning lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think again, we've all probably been in a spot like that. I, I know even like for us this year, I feel like a lot of people have experienced, you know, just like with, you know, potential recession and inflation and things like that happening this year have experienced those moments of, okay, I'm going to have to either risk it or, and hope that it pans out, or I'm going to kind of scale back. And I feel like everybody's kind of had been on that teeter totter of decision-making this past year, as far as is, are we going to go ahead and continue to invest and, and make, you know, potential large spending or purchasing decisions or hiring or whatever that may look like to continue to hopefully just like buckle down and scale and grow our business? Or are we going to scale back? And that's, I know we've personally had to be, you know, been thinking about that this year. And I feel like a lot of people have been on in that boat too. So um, and, you know, when starting a, a brick and mortar business, I know there are, um, you know, a couple of options business owners can take to start, whether it's, you know, starting from scratch on their own, or maybe it's taking over for an old business that's wanting to sell. There's a lot of different options in terms of how you guys are actually getting started. So um, I would love for you to kind of chat about what you all did to start Bungalow Coffee. So you didn't have, did you have to start from scratch um, and maybe any type of role that you had to do with like negotiations or, or playing in your investment journey or what that actually looks like? Um, logistically, because again, I, there are a lot of different options and ways that you can be doing that. Uh, yes, absolutely. So what um, we just kind of talked about the history of social bungalow, how we made that money and then how we were smart about the savings. So now we're at the point, let's just kind of pick up the journey where it left off with this bit of a nest egg that when the opportunity arose for the coffee shop, that was formerly just like a twinkle in my father's eye. It then was, Hey, there's somebody that's going out of business, a coffee shop. And um, they're looking to do an asset sale. So what you can do when you're brick and mortaring in particular is that you can buy everything from scratch, all of your inventory, all of your equipment, whatever it is you need for that specific business, or you can buy from somebody who is selling it. And in those instances, you've got a couple things at play. You've got the pro of everything is shiny and brand spanking new, and you've got warranties and all that good stuff. But then you've got the con of the full price price point. And then on the other side with the asset sale, you have the pro of maybe a decreased price because you're able to talk about depreciation and things of that sort, but it's been used and how used has it been and what quirks does it have all of that. So we thought it would be best not 
having been coffee shop owners before to go for an asset sale. Cause those people have already thought through tiny stirring straws and like all the randomness that you would think, okay, I need an espresso machine and a milk fridge. And it's like, no, just kidding. I need 60,000 things. So we did that, but we had the opportunity to negotiate with our asset sale because of depreciation. So we were able to say, Hey, you've been open for this long. It was at this price point. This is what we, you know, project basically that's happened over the use and what you're, and there was a lot of back and forth on what's the foot traffic. What are the numbers? What did you sell? And just kind of auditing it almost like a billboard would audit the views that they got by looking at the traffic reports. We're doing the same thing to say, this is theoretically how much your espresso machine has been used and how much should be taken off the price. So doing that whole process and saying, you know, th these are things we don't need. These are things we don't want. And even though it's a part of the sale, it's not of interest to us. So we're going to utilize this in a negotiation to say, we don't care if you throw that out. This is what we want to buy. And a lot of just back and forth, back and forth. And um, so basically what we ended up doing through the back and forth negotiation was buying asset sale wise, getting them down by $50,000. And in that infusing training from their manager to know how every single thing works and was set up and, and their work works to the espresso machine. And he was the person that dialed in the specific settings on the scales. So having that was invaluable, highly recommend if you're ever doing an asset sale to have a guide who's doing a warm handoff. Um, and so from there, the coffee shop that was going out of business had only been open for about a year and a half and they closed, they were a out of state. They had their set up in the South and they wanted to move States. They came to Vegas, long story. So it was just a little bit of a city they didn't know. And then COVID hit. So there was insult to injury, unfortunately, um, in the space that they were in, in downtown Las Vegas, it's in the arts district for what we had envisioned. It was a perfect vibe for the perfect clientele and market and all that good stuff. So we wanted to basically assume their lease. Um, so then we went to the building owner, had this conversation. Hello, we have just purchased all this stuff. And now we want to take over their space. Are you looking for a similar tenant? Had to go through the whole like rigorous. I felt like I was being Miss America interviewed with like, they really wanted to know exactly what my intention was with their daughter. Essentially. I was like, ah, <laughs> um, so I had to tell them my, you know, business plan and everything that I, I was going to do going into that space, signed a new lease. But in that process, we were able to negotiate due to the fact that we were not going to be Able to flip over the opening, even though we had the assets, we needed to rebrand and do construction and find different vendors because we were not going to roast our own coffee distributor, blah, blah, blah. So we said we would like a few months off of the rent in order to be able to prepare for this because we're going to be paying for basically six months of a place that's doing nothing and it's not a cheap rent. So we were able to negotiate through that process um, and also not have it raised on us because a lot of times what they like to do is say, oh, you're a new tenant, so I'm going to find a way to get new money. But we had seen the past lease, so we had that as wiggle room because the coffee shop company that we got the assets from kind of came in clutch and said like, just so you know, here's the skinny on the building owner and what they're going to try to do. And here's our lease. So they were instrumental. And I think there's a way that a lot of times people feel negotiation is going to be negative and it's going to be so firm and you're going to piss people off or burn bridges. And really it can be just an open conversation about, Hey, I respect that. I hear you, but this doesn't make sense for us. And here's our counter. And they say, all right. And it, it's just, there's so much that people are open to if you just ask. Yeah. That's what I was actually going to mention. Just like even listening to you speak is like how positive the conversation, like the negotiation conversation sounded with the previous coffee shop owners that it wasn't like, it didn't have this like negative connotation that negotiation typically has. And, you know, it seems like it was a really pleasant handoff in terms of like, Hey, they're kind of giving you, like you said, the skinny on the, the building owners and things like that. And it sounds like it was a very, like, you know, a good conversation. It doesn't always have to have that, that negativity, you know, energy surrounding it, like, like it would typically would like a negative connotation to negotiation. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I think there is a stigma in our online space. Like if you're somebody who, you know, worked in the corporate world or had insert job here, and then you started your own business and it's expertise based. And so you're in this space where you are an independent business owner working typically with other independent business owners or with um, B2C style to where you're helping, you know, a mom at home who's looking at losing weight, like that process of the earlier client I talked about. And that's just so tender. And they come there. There's just a weirdness around negotiating. There's a taboo around it. And I would say in our specific bubble. And I respect that because people have really thought through their pricing and it's like, I can't go lower. This is what the service costs. This is how I have to price it. But there is, I think, an adopted stigma or mindset or lens or like filter that everybody is looking through now. 
And I think it's impacting other elements of their business life or other elements of their life in general, where negotiation is still a very real thing in the real world. And it should not be looked upon as something taboo, negative, or overtly masculine. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually had such a horrifying experience actually as a, I think I was I was graduating high school or college, I think. And my grandpa wanted to do something nice, you know, get us like a a gift to commemorate our graduation. And we walked into Dillard's to buy a nice watch because I'm not like the biggest jewelry person. It's like, but I'll wear a watch. And my grandpa negotiated the price of that watch at Dillard's. And to this day, it was the most uncomfortable, but most eye-opening experience of my life. Like to this day, I will never forget my grandpa haggling at a Dillard's counter for that watch for my graduation. But like you said, like negotiation, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Um, there is, like you said, this negative stigma around it, but it is just also still a part of the, of business and business is business sometimes. And it's not personal. Like you said, like even in how you frame this conversation, conversation with the people that you took over for. Like it's, it wasn't, we weren't taking anything personally. We're just open conversation. And I think that's so, so important to continue to have like in this space. Like I got thousand percent agree with you on that. What did you, how much did your grandpa get discounted? Okay. So not only did he get a discount, he got a second watch. (laughs) He bought two. What was it? The watches that were so popular. Oh my gosh. I can't even, I still have it. It's in my, obviously have it in my jewelry box, but, um, it was one of those really popular watches at the time, not Rolex or anything like that, but Michael Kors. No, I don't don't know. Anyways, neither here nor there, but no, not only did he walk away with the discount, he got like a two for one special. Like I, and I was like, and he was in sales his entire life. So I'm sure like, this was like, okay, this was just, you know, another walk in the woods for him. But I was mortified, like standing there. It's like, I didn't even know negotiating it at Dillard's was an option, (laughs) but I I didn't either to this day. And I'm never going Dillard with the same mindset. Mm -hmm. didn't even know that was an option, but oh, he sure did. And he, he succeeded. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt this episode, but this will be real quick. If you started your business, you are your own boss, but along with being the CEO, you're also the accountant, the marketing manager, creative director, executive assistant, and many more titles. If you don't do it, it doesn't get done. And if you need help doing it all, you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communication, booking, contracts, and invoices all in one place. With HoneyBook, you can automate your busy work and they have a ton of easy to use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, and invoices. I personally use HoneyBook to simplify my booking process in my business and stay on top of inquiries and clients in my pipeline. All you have to do is go to the link below in the show notes and sign up today. Alrighty, now let's get back to the show. I know just kind of talking that there is a lot of overlap between owning a brick and mortar and owning an online business, but I also know there's obviously like a ton of differences. Like also, you know, when we were talking about um, earlier, just you're, especially in the food industry, you know, because, you know, the coffee shop, I mean, you guys are serving, you have a menu now, right? You have a menu, actual food. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so what did you think, or what were some of the discoveries and differences that you guys found along the way in terms of maybe hiring or training or setting yourself up for, for success from an operational standpoint for a brick and mortar business versus a remote online business? And how did you really navigate, you know, learning those new things? Mm -hmm. It is so different in its core, like one's online, one's physical, like anything you point at, it's literally the opposite. So that was such a an interesting juxtaposition. The first thing that comes to mind when you brought up the food menu is what, as a coffee shop, what you would expect everybody who had just a mental picture conjured up is you're going to walk up, you're going to get a coffee. Maybe there's an inside space that you can sit and do work. Maybe it's a walk up, lots coffee for us. It's a really big space. It's 2,500 square feet. So we were um, immediately seeing, and also the area that we're in, which is downtown, not suburbia, immediately seeing that people treat that area and then our space as an event. So like, Hey, let's go out, let's go shopping and then let's go to bungalow or let's go, um, you know, antiquing. And we're going to hit that on the way. It's not part of their daily morning routine because they don't live there. They're not going through the Starbucks drive through It's you got to come down on the weekend. So in order to, we had two options, increase foot traffic or increase ticket price. Obviously both would be ideal, but the thing that was in our control right then and there earlier on was increased ticket price by rolling out a really robust food menu. So with that, it's all breakfast sandwiches, all lunch salads, panini sandwiches, wraps, the whole nine. Pretty gourmet. We worked with a professional chef who opened up some restaurants on the strip. We just happened to catch him when he was like 
in between jobs. And somehow he did our like little coffee shops, food menu. That's amazing. Um, I know it was awesome. But so, and we got some of his contacts and things like that for the distributors. And now we are, I would call us like a proper cafe. Mm -hmm. People come there every day for full on lunch and breakfast. Um, and, but that was the biggest differentiator to say, all right, I can't get more people through the door right now without more dollars out the door for marketing. So I need to increase the price essentially somehow. Um, and then with that increasing now, the foot traffic has been awesome. Our, our normal, like slow Tuesday, Thursday type days are the equivalent of our highest weekend days from a year ago. So night and day difference. Um, And it, that's been awesome. But as far as then the team, we have um, maybe like 10, I want to say right now, full-time, part-time baristas. And we've got a morning, a mid and a closing shift and where that crosses over and on what days when you overstaff or understaff. One of the things we did in the earlier days was every barista was also in the kitchen. And so there was a circle um, shift change. You'd be on espresso, on POS, in the kitchen, in the cafe, et cetera, depending on like your two hour slot. Um, and that was not great for morale because the difference between I'm a barista and, or I'm in this kitchen making food. So we separated that. And now there's a full kitchen staff. There's a full barista staff, um, events, da, 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 all, all of that good stuff. But it's just this constant of like where in the online space I can sell one coaching package and it'd be a premium price point And that'd be good for, let's call it a month. And I've got two team members. It's bigger now, but all of these things that are smaller because they can be bigger. It's so constant. It's just a constant roving. You need people through the door every single solitary day. I have many more employees constantly to make it happen, many more products to make it happen. Um, but it's the, the thing about that, that I love is that it's simpler to make people happy. I can make you a stellar cup of coffee and make your entire day versus in the online business. I'm like, okay, let me change your life. Yeah, I mean, coffee makes me happy in general, but if you're going to make it a nice cup of coffee, you'll, you'll really be my best friend. So (laughs) completely. Yeah. So, I mean, to answer your question of what's different, everything is different and it's been a really fun learning curve, just like having the same principles of business ownership, of leadership, of making a business profitable. It's like the same brass tacks, completely different application. And that has been really enthralling to figure out as we go through. Yeah. And you guys have used, I mean, the power of social media, so to speak also, I mean, obviously that's marketing, but I mean, you guys have, um, it's, you've got a wall up, I think in bungalow, like it's big sip energy is what it says. I think. Yeah. yeah. Like you have these like Instagram moments, like really harnessing that. And I'm sure that's helping too, with the foot tra- traffic, like free marketing, you know, giving people these opportunities to spread the word without, you know, you really having to do much of the legwork for it in instances like that. But it has been really interesting to kind of see like knowing you and your marketing background and bringing how that's translated into opening this brick and mortar without even like having this conversation, just even through social media, seeing these little nuances that I know that you teach on or, or speak to when it comes to marketing, come through in an actual brick and mortar business has been so cool. And I feel like it's also attributed to so much of the success. Like you just said, your lowest days during the week are now like equivalent to what a high day was on the weekend for you guys. Um, I'm sure so much of that has played a role, you know, in the success of how you guys have just grown so much over the past year, year and a half. Yeah. Thank you for that. And that's to the last question. That is so, um, it is literally like the one thing that's similar across the businesses would be the marketing approach. So that's a Mm -hmm. great segue. It really is, um, what I teach in like, for example, five figure Instagram, which is one of my courses specifically for the online space. So many of the same principles of outreach, relationship building, follower growth, the way in which you're, you're conversating with someone, the hashtags are using the content creation. Mm -hmm. It's completely different because one is talking about this depth of pain and unfulfilled yeah. desire. And then the other one, it's like, do you want a sandwich? Yeah. Do you want some coffee? How yeah. tired are you today? <laughs> I guess you could have unfulfilled sandwich desire, but um, it's just a very different application, but it is the exact same strategy. So what we did prior to opening was a very strong campaign on community nurture within like just the local sphere. We had our, you know, influencer stack. So you've got your foodies and your TikTokers and your people who do reviews and all of those on one big spreadsheet that we were nurturing and inviting and getting excited, but then just regular Las Vegas locals that hashtag Las Vegas that mm-hmm. are popping around to different restaurants. And we're like, can't wait for you to try us. And we'd yeah. comment on one of, if they had a public profile, we'd comment on one of their posts like some of their stuff, follow them, maybe shoot them a message. And they'd be like, who is this coffee shop? And they'd come over to just like a resting grid of 15 photos with like coming soon on this date. And it created this like 
cheeky persona because it's a logo and it's a, a physical business versus it being an individual. And it, it caused people to almost do that little like nose laugh that you do when you get like a, a cheeky meme sent to you. And we started to have this like satire with the community and people, when they came in, eventually were like, you are the friendliest coffee shop I've ever known. And, like you're the only coffee shop that's like an entity in social. And when bungalow coffee responds, I don't even feel like it's a person. I feel like it's the brand. It's like the bungalow is talking to me. Um, so that has been just super duper fun and keeping that up and making sure that community element is there has made for so much of a community when you come in. And, um, I've been hearing it, like I sit at the bar and I'll go upstairs to my office too, but I like to just act like, you know, a patron and I'll, I'll have like an AirPod in, but not really. If I hear somebody talking, I like take it off, turn my music down. And I've been hearing a lot lately where people say like, this is just the, like, this is the local spot. And this is where you go to meet people. And we have like executives, we have owners of casinos, we have politicians locally and all of these big, incredible people who come in to do their networking there because of the vibe in the community that's been brought together heavily from social media. Like you get them in the door, you got to prove yourself, of course. But that I would say has been just really hitting it hard on giving in order to get using social. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, like I said, I could tell, like I haven't even been into bungalow since you guys first got the building, um, since it's actually become a cafe, you know, slash coffee shop. Um, but I can even just tell like from social media and the marketing strategies that you guys have been integrating that it has become just this, like you said, a community or like the spot for people to come and maybe like even for co-working and things like that. Cause I've seen, you know, people that have um, been following you in this digital space are now becoming local patrons, um, mm. or will stop in if they're coming into Vegas or, you know, whatever that looks like. So, um, again, just like all just for you guys, just all the work that you've put in has obviously just really come out tenfold because of how much you guys have just, like you said, grown in the past year and a half. And so it's been really, really cool to see virtually from down here in Florida, but hoping to obviously come back up and make a trip at some point yeah. to come actually see everything finished and done. So yeah, <laughs> thank you you know, after listening to your story, there's obviously been so many pieces involved in opening a brick and mortar business, but what would you say are some of the first few steps somebody could take to open a brick and mortar business, or maybe were some of the first few steps you wish you had known before you had, you know, whether it's opening a second business in general, whether it's brick and mortar or not, or just, you know, brick and mortar in general. Mm -hmm. Brick and mortar in general, there's so many more um, permits, certifications, et cetera, than you usually think there's going to be. And you know, there's going to be something, but the volume of like this with the city, that meeting, that specific thing, it's like every time you turn a corner, you learn something new that just to, to plant that seed, like permitting, save a budget for it, save time for it, know it's coming. It's but, like upfront costs in general. I feel like yeah. it would just be so much astronomically higher. It truly is. Yeah. Like everything costs so much money just to be able to make a dollar versus online business. You're like, I have my laptop. Let me put together some services. And it's a lot of like elbow grease. Cause you could not hire a designer and instead just build your own landing page. It took yep. some time. It was probably really annoying if you didn't know web design and now here you are, but yeah, same thing. And, and I say that my one caveat is like, I don't, I want somebody to research and make sure that they're well, they understanding what they're getting themselves into prepared for it financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, but really, <laughs> all, all the way around. <laughs> you will, you need it. Um, but not getting to the point where you like over prepare or over consume, because there's, you always hear it on podcasts. People will be like, if you knew then what you know now about this, would you have even started it? And people are like, no because the mountain just, it gets too big and you will, once you're in it, you will figure it out. So knowing that knowing enough to be dangerous, but not making yourself feel like you have to wait until you feel like the expert on owning a physical business and you could teach it in a you know university. No, don't get to that level. Cause you'll never go forward with it. So yeah, permitting. Um, I would say also physical business, really knowing the market, knowing the area and spending time as like day after day after day, looking at the traffic patterns as just a consumer, like go and park down there, go and sit in the competitor's coffee shop, go into, you know, the, the business next door and all of those different pieces to see what it looks like, what the foot traffic is build relationships with those people, just walk up to even, you know, the person working the desk, it might not be the owner or manager, but say like, how is it? How's it been? What do you like about it? Do you like this area? All of those things play a factor. I am extraordinarily grateful that I just got lucky with our area. But if we had gone into suburbia, which, you know, regular logic would say, go to where people need coffee every day. 
I don't mm-hmm. think we would have been as successful as we have been because we would have been in such competition with the Starbucks and what have you. And the reason why we've seen success is because it's like a vibe. It's a place to go. It's a place to meet up. And now it's become a habit. But if I didn't have that intrigue out of the gate, it would have been very hard to turn the habit corner. So yeah, location, humongous. And then I would say from there, especially if it is a second business, like if it's a first business, it's all the money, like it's money, 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 money. But if it's a second business, because you have a nest egg from your first business, really taking a strong look at your relationships around you and making sure that you already set yourself up with, if you have a significant other date nights and check-in times, if you like for your family, if you guys regularly see each other, but it's like hit or miss, it's not every Sunday for potluck. It's like, Oh, I don't know, whatever it makes sense. That will change when you are like a parent of two and, or you need to go into both of those places all of the time. And you're holding so much space for other people too. all of your customers and all of your staff on a brick and mortar side. And then all of your clients in a really deep way on the digital side, you will lose interest, hobbies, and friends. If you are not intentional about maintaining them out of the gate and creating a bit of a schedule, knowing you might not maintain that schedule for the first quarter of getting this up and running, but beyond that, being able to sew into those pieces, not only so that they don't fall apart, but also because it's going to fulfill you and you won't burn out. If your cup's being filled by the people you can just be your most raw self with is so, so, so very crucial. Yeah. I love that you just said that also, because I obviously just had a baby in September of last year. And so I, that like, it's applies all the way around, right? Like when we had Luca, that was something that we had to be intentional about is like, like you said, date night or spending time or like going out of our way to be intentional with our time, because I also run a business still. And my husband runs, you know, um, a business down here and he has a second job that he works. So, you know, it's work going, going, going 24 seven. And so I love that you brought that up because like you said, it is like having two kids, like, and not only do you have two kids that you're taking care of, but there are people within those (laughs) that you also have to be like aware of and like paying attention to and nurturing and, and taking care of, you know, as team members. And so it's a lot, there's a lot of people that you are divvying up your energy to on a consistent basis. And then you're like, Oh, crap. I actually, I have a personal life somewhere in there and like being intentional with your personal life. And like you said, like going into it, being aware that maybe, Hey, like for the first quarter, it may be, uh, you know, we might have, we may be a wash and it may not have happened, but having something to fall back on, maybe when you do have those periods or times that it lightens up a little bit. So you're not having to take the, the brain power and energy to think, okay, we are lightening up. What should we do? You've already got a, got a game plan, you know, kind of laid out because I think that's something that you know, we even personally struggle with like on those days where it finally lightens up, we're like so tired. We don't even have the brain energy to be like, so what do we do with our time? Like, what do we do today? You know, like we don't have the capacity for it. So I think that's such a good, good piece of advice, both personally and professionally um, that people can be taking from because it's applicable for for everybody. Yeah, no, so well said. And it really is. It's it's so odd. It's kind of like when somebody is the rudest or the harshest on the person that loves them the most because they're around. And so that same thing of like, you know, I know these people are your clients and they paid. I know that these people need you and it's super important because you're really trying to facilitate something major for them, but I'm your you know, insert thing here. I'm your mom, your husband, I'm your wife, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, but you'll be there. But these well, they need me right now. And so you end up giving precedent to your clients or whomever than you do to these people who are like, you know, your soul people and finding a way to actually show up for both parties and then not feel like you yourself are a lifeless sack is something to go into this knowing is going to be the case and be intentional with out of the gate. Yeah. I feel like you should have to, like, you need to do a whole podcast episode on that alone, because I feel like there's so many things that you could dive in, um, on that subject alone. And again, so relatable to everybody, like you said, whether, no matter if you're a mom, a a husband, a wife, a a partner, whatever that is you, you do. And you, when you come back and you have all these other stressors and you're trying to focus on everything else, you're like, Oh, I actually have this person that really, really loves me that I need to also be spending time with too. And, and making sure that you're doing that as well, because it is hard when you're feeling spread thin. So, and and trying to grow something, you know, because you guys, I'm sure that's also another part about it is like, you're both excited about the opportunity of growth and the things that you guys are doing. So it makes it hard to want to pull back and like focus on other things outside of it. And so I'm sure that plays a part in it too. Yeah, it does. Right now we have bungalow coffee, pretty autonomous from a Ryan and I perspective because our manager is doing an awesome job and really runs the ship well. And so we're at this point of, okay, is there a second location or, oh, okay. Do we want to, you know, 
get into something. It's always, and we're the same as like ambitious, go, go, go type. Achieve, achieve. Like what's the next thing that we can accomplish? So if there's like an open spot, it will get filled. And we're like investment properties, Airbnb, more locations. Should we branch? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> when does it stop? When does it stop? Yeah, never. Yeah. Okay. So just like a fun question to wrap things up because I know we're getting close on time and I obviously want to be, you know, cognizant of your time, but what has been your favorite part so far about investing and opening a brick and mortar business? My favorite part really is like the people that come in, the customers, the patrons, they're just such rich conversations, but really the staff, because the employees, team members, et cetera, that I have on the social bungalow side are um, peers, they're equals, they're my same age, if not older, sometimes they come with a depth of knowledge and we're all really brain sharing and it's incredibly like robust and deep. It's not me getting to be kind of like a mama bear to younger baristas. And so the conversations that we have first off, they like, they keep me young No, but they just, they're like goofy. They're typically fairly Gen Z or early millennial. And they just have like all of the trends and all of the humor and their lives are simple and sweet, or they still live at home and like the things that are big deals to them, which I completely like honor what they're going through and talk to them about it. But I can, I just smile like, Oh man, this is your problem right now. And like how life will change and how sweet it is to be in this time. And I, we have a really good, so the development of them and the leadership and all of that is really enriching for me, but they also really fill my cup. They're just such goofballs. And they're like the, the quirkiest, funniest, greatest people with such great style and talent. And like if you work at a coffee shop, you're typically going to school or you're an aspiring insert career here. So we have musicians and artists and all of that. So um, but I was just looking the other day, like walking in and like, sitting down at my spot and everybody's like, Hey Shannon, all the inside jokes and little things. And obviously there's a crackdown element too. So there's boundaries, but I was looking at all of them and I was like, this is a bittersweet moment for me because these are like the good old days. And I can tell right now that this is what they are. And to be, you know, we'll always have a great crew and, and have this business, but we're in a five-year lease. So like, let's see what happens from there type thing. And really just like noting in the moment of the goodness with a more mature, like, you know, I've been through several sections of the good old days in my life now to be able to look at it and appreciate it in gratitude. And also a little bit of sadness that like, this is so good right now the staff and getting to like be with them and develop them and hear from them and see their lives unfold is really, really fun right now. Yeah. You've created such like a family community. It sounds like, you know, within your business and, and like the fact what you're talking about with recognizing, like aware that this is those good old days, like as you're in the moment, I think is so, so awesome because like, that's kind of what I'm experiencing right now with Luca, because he's about to turn a year old in September. And I'm kind of like in this, I'm, you know, sad because he's going to be a year, but I'm also like, these are the good old days. Like I'm in them right now. And like, he's going to just keep getting bigger. And I'm trying to just be like super, super present with him and like really just soak it all in because I know these times go by so fast, but I love that you said that just because like I said, I'm also kind of like personally experiencing that with my, with my child right now. And I think it is like, there's something to be said for being able to like pause and just really appreciate like where you're at in the moment. I know because like you were just chatting about all the, like the stressors and, and time sucks and things that we're, you know, busy with, um, you know, in our, in our day-to-day lives and like still being able to t- like pause and say like, we made it and this is our accomplishment yeah. and this feels really, really good. I think that's so, so cool that you're able to like really just step back and like soak that in. Yeah. That, and to the point of Luca, that's so true. And it's like the word that came to mind when you were saying that is like just relishing in it. Yeah. Like relishing him and his like, Oh, he's so chunky. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> These roles won't always be here. Exactly. Just like relishing these young people and the dynamic of just how good and, and awesome really everything is right now. And it's, it's kind of a rarity, even though it's really incredible what you can do being a business owner, the freedom and the money and the impact and all these things. Yes. But you are so typically in the weeds and like thinking that you're going to turn a corner and finally then, and finally then, and finally then, and you get to a point where you realize it finally never comes. The line just keeps moving and you have to find your own mindset, mental health, emotional health through that process. And being able to look back in gratitude is Mm -hmm. something that is just, it, it just creates happiness. Like serotonin, here you go. You need, everybody needs more of it. Let's just take a moment to be grateful for where we are. Absolutely. Um, well, Shannon, I really appreciate you joining me today. I've taken the time out of your day to like have this conversation. It's, it was so 
interesting for me to be able to like, because so many of us are right now where we have remote businesses, right? There's not a ton of us that have really branched out and taken on this second brick and mortar opportunity like you have. And so it's been really um, interesting to hear your, your perspective and your experience and how everything's gone. And I really appreciate you doing that. And I'm sure most of our listeners are very familiar with you if they have followed me, because I've obviously chatted about you quite a bit. Um, but if they are not familiar, how do they get in contact with you? How do they reach out? What's the best way to get in touch? Yeah. So Instagram would be our main means. We're the social bungalow and we're, we hang out on Instagram all day. I say we, cause it's me and my team members and you can reach me at any moment if you DM. So please feel free. And then if you want to check out bungalow coffee, it's bungalow coffee co on Instagram. Okay. Amazing. Um, and then as with every episode, we're going to wrap up real quickly with some rapid fire questions. So are you ready for your questions? Ooh, okay. Let's do it. Okay. So what is your favorite TV show? TV show of all time would be Gilmore Girls, but currently Ozarks. I am like, cannot stop writing home about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you heard this in one of our other podcast episodes, but I'm from Missouri originally. Mm -hmm. So I grew up going down to the Lake of the Ozarks every summer, like go tubing and stuff. So I'm like, it's not as bad as it looks, I promise. But I'm obsessed with that show because it's so weird. Like listening to, oh, if they're on the radio talking about the St. Louis Cardinals or this happened in Columbia or I'm like, Hey, I went to school there. That is wild. It's weird. Well, don't you have like a really funny hometown name? What's the name? Boonville. Boonville. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I'm so glad that's how you remember. It's like, everybody always says that you're, it's really Boonville, like the boonies. And I'm like, yeah, it's Boonville, like the boonies, like just like that. But yep. Yep. That's where I grew up. So, um, okay. What is your favorite, like last meal? If you were to pick a last meal, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Probably, um, Indian chicken korma about mild because I like the flavor of the korma so much, um, with the basmati jasmine rice. Nice. I am also like really obsessed with garlic naan from, have you had the garlic naan from Trader Joe's? Mm-mm, actually, you n- need to get it. Like the closest Trader Joe's to us is two hours away. And we will literally drive to Trader Joe's with coolers in the back of our car <laughs> and load up on Trader Joe's fr- freezer food. I'm not joking. Oh and garlic naan is like, we will empty them out of the garlic naan. It's so good. You have to try it. It's going to be happening. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what is your dream travel location? Hmm. I would say right now I'm really interested in seeing Prague. Um, it just looks so like Gothic Disneyland interesting. And I love that just like European vibe and, you know, culture, architecture, just walking around cobblestone street. So that's, what's on my mind right now. Prague. Nice. I have not been to Prague. That is definitely on a list though. Um, and then let's see, what are you currently reading? If you have time to read with everything you've got going on. Yes. I do my, my physical book reading for my fictions. Cause that's like guilty pleasure do it at night, but then I'll do my, um, learning personal development, audiobooks or Kindle type thing. So actively reading, I'm reading Ruth Ware's the it girl. Ruth Ware is my favorite author. She's like the Agatha Christie of our time. I own and have read all of her books like twice. And this is her newest one that just came out. So I have devoured this like thicky in, I don't know, a week and a half. So that's her end. That's what I think one of my biggest things that I miss, like with not having as much time now with, you know, motherhood and running a business and all the things is reading because I love reading fiction books. Like, but that's the problem is I will sit down and I will not stop reading. Like I will spend half a day reading a book and I just don't have that time quite now. So right now, so (laughs) that's one thing I do miss. Um, and then what did you want to be when you grew up? Like your dream job as a child? I wanted to three things. I, for the longest time I wanted to be a chef, loved food. Like this is little kid era. Then I wanted to be the first woman president. That was about middle school and high school. I was the president of my school in elementary and in high school. So, you know, that yeah. I, I fulfilled that. I yeah. Feel. Check that off the list. <laughs> yeah. And then it transitioned into acting. I did a couple of like plays or what have you. And I caught the bug. Um, my older brother was getting into acting. He went to Hollywood. He did some stuff. So I was like, me too. It's the family. Um, so I went to theater school and lots and lots of miscellaneous little commercials and be films and things like that. Um, and I feel that the culmination of like the public speaking, the, the desire to be in quote unquote politics, really, I just wanted to rule something. The, the, the liking of the, you know, acting and the, the speaking and being in front of people as well is kind of culminated into what these businesses have been. So I am grateful. And also the chefing I did make up the, I was just about to say that too. Yeah. With the food. Yes. I have my, I do. I always had this vision in my mind of the like diner, 
a waitress who walks around and like refills the coffee and calls everybody like sugar and toots. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, that's how my hometown was. We had like, just like the little cafe diners that, uh, that's exactly how it was. So, well, again, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today. I love the conversation per usual. Um, and, uh, for everybody listening, anything that was mentioned, we'll make sure to link in the show notes, her, um, IG handles, if you guys are interested in following her. I'll put that there for you guys, but otherwise we will see you guys on next week's episode. And Shannon, thank you again so much for joining us today. Thank you. What a blast. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Elevate Effect podcast. If you liked what you heard, share the episode with your best friend, team member, or even your dog. If you have a minute, leave a review below or DM me on Instagram to let me know what you want to hear on the podcast next. Thanks again. And I can't wait to see you next week.